I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. You might recall, if you listen to The Distiller regularly, that back in episode eight of the podcast, we spoke with Megan Trishler, project coordinator for People's Liberty. People's Liberty is a nonprofit that gives grants to people working on or creating community building projects in Cincinnati. Well, today's guest is Melis Idawan, one of the recent People's Liberty Project grantees. In her day job, Melis works in sales at the General Office of Procter & Gamble here in Cincinnati. But Melis recently applied for and won a grant from People's Liberty to create Ruya Coffee. Ruya is an authentic Turkish coffee house in the People's Liberty Globefront space, which is a storefront right off the historic Finley Market in Cincinnati's Over the Rhine neighborhood. Ruya Coffee is a labor of love and something of a lifelong dream for Melis. In fact, uh, the word Ruya means dream in Turkish. It's something Melis will explain more about later in the episode. But Ruya is more than coffee. It's a community gathering space, a place where people can come and experience something new and exotic. Yeah, but an experience that pulls them gently out of their comfort zone and invites them into another culture and to engage with other people. Melis and her mother Ayşe not only serve coffee and wonderful Turkish desserts and Turkish delight, which we sampled while we were talking, they also perform the traditional Turkish fortune-telling ceremony, reading the coffee grounds at the bottom of your cup. And uh, at the end of this episode, Melis actually reads My Fortune. Uh, you can listen to that at the end of the episode, we also have a video of that on our website at thedistillerpodcast.com, so you can see the grounds in the cup as she's reading them, so check it out. It goes without saying that approaches to work are as diverse as the people we speak to. Mellis brought something unique to our conversation, though, which was the perspective of a first-generation American. Her parents moved to the United States before she was born specifically to give their kids the greatest breadth of opportunity. Melis talks about the way that influenced her approach to her education and, of course, her work decisions. But she also talks about how the dual identity of immigrant and citizen creates a dichotomy within herself. Is she Turkish? Is she American? It's a wonderful addition to the cumulative picture of work that these conversations are building and a reminder that meaningful work means many different things to many different people. We recorded live at Ruya Coffee early on a Tuesday morning. You can hear the construction crews arriving outside and the garbage trucks barreling by on the streets. We sipped some strong Turkish coffee. We ate a wonderful Turkish delight as the sun rose over Finley Market, and we worked through questions of how we balance our work life with our passion projects. Melis is right in the center of that question. Having a solid, reliable corporate job that she's really good at, but just having created something beautiful and meaningful apart from her work, and beginning to think about the future of both. It's a snapshot of someone right in that inflection point of big decisions, and we really appreciate Melis inviting us not only into her space, but into her progress right at this stage. We started off just by talking a bit about how Ruya came to be. I had just finished my first cup of Turkish coffee, turned my cup over on my saucer in anticipation of the fortune telling that would come later, and we jumped right in. So here is my conversation with Melis Idawan of Ruya Coffee on the Distiller Podcast. So first of all, thank you. Thank you for getting up early. It is a, a, an early <laughs> uh, Tuesday morning in Over the Rhine, and we're here in the People's Liberty Globefront space at Ruya. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. I am so excited to be here since I'm a huge podcast junkie. Fantastic. <laughs> well, tell me, um, let's start off and tell me about Ruya. You created Ruya um, with a team of people by yes. yourself? Okay. Uh, I started out by myself. I, I'm, you know, kind of the type of person that thinks they don't need help. Uh -huh. <laughs> Until <laughs> like, you get into it. Until I'm like, wait, I don't know how to do anything. Um, and so basically I won the grant or I got the phone call that I won in like late August of 2017. And ever since then, like my mind has been going and I've been thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And then it was, I didn't really hit the ground running probably until like about March of 2018 of like really taking steps forward. Um, before that, it was just all inspiration phase. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I've had a ton of help along the way from just friends, uh, family friends, um, people like have come out of the woodwork that I haven't even talked to in forever. And like from high school and middle school that have been like, I've always wanted to open up a coffee shop too, or I love the mission or something like that. And like, if there's anything I can do, just let me oh, know. So, um, 
Let's yeah. let's take a second for people um, that don't know what People's Liberty is. I, I think on our third or fourth episode, maybe five, we interviewed Megan Trishler, who is the program director for People's Liberty, and she talked about the organization. But uh, very briefly, People's Liberty is an organization that's funded by the Hale Foundation to basically give grants out to people who are doing work that builds community in Cincinnati. Right. And one of the grants that they give is a $10,000 project grant. Mm -hmm. um, and they give out something like between seven and 10 of those a year. Mm -hmm. And so you applied for one of those grants. So I applied for the GLOBE grant. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, which is a separate grant. So talk about what that is. So that the project grant is one in which you can do anywhere. Okay. Um, but the GLOBE grant is specific to this building. Okay. So to do you, an event or a project in this space. In this space. So you get this space for free for three months mm -hmm. as part of the grant. And you can do... They literally are awesome with like letting you do anything in okay. this space. So like... As long as you don't tear walls down, you can, you know, paint it, put walls and holes in it. So um, I basically turned it into a Turkish coffee house. And then you get um, a pile of money to do that as well. Okay. How, <laughs> do you know how many people applied for the grant? I think, I remember I did ask, um, don't quote me on this, but I think the number of applicants they had was over 100. Wow. Yeah. Something okay. like that. So it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. And what was the first idea that was in your mind? How did you find out about this? And what made you think, I want to, A, apply for a grant, and B, that you want to do this, that you specifically wanted to do a Turkish coffee house in Cincinnati? Yeah. Um, so how I first found out about it was, I, I tell this story so many times, and I like, you know that feeling where you're like reliving the moment? Because it was <laughs> right there where it happened. It was just outside these doors. Uh -huh. um, it was me and three of my best friends from high school. Mm -hmm. um, Alok Desai, Sahil Desai, and Jordan Perlin. Shout out to them. <laughs> there you go. They listen. We were yeah. They, we we were walking to Rheingeist for a drink, mm -hmm. and someone was having their launch party. It was the Green Store at the time. Okay. And I was like, "Oh, what's that party?" Um, so I peeked my head in, and I was asking like oh, is this like an exclusive thing? Like, can I come in? And they're like, yeah, it's exclusive, but I'll tell you what it is. And so they told me about People's Liberty and how this was her first day. And so she was doing this launch party. Cool. And I was like, oh, cool. And at the time I was like, that's cool. And then I went to Rangas and had a drink with my friends and kind of forgot about it. Yep. And then fast forward a couple months later, I was on a bus from Chicago to Cincinnati, mm -hmm. and this guy named Brad Cooper, not the actor. The actor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I didn't know he travels by bus. Yeah. He's come up in the world since then. Um, he sat next to me, and he's actually um, a Hale Foundation grantee. Okay. So he does this thing called Small Houses um, in OTR, and he actually just closed on his house a couple days ago, so I'm so proud of him. Awesome. Um, but... He was telling me about the grant process. I was like, oh, I know People's Liberty. And so he asked the question, if you were to win a grant, what would you do? Nice. And something that's always been, like, being a first-generation Turkish-American um, that my, you know, family has always talked about is bringing a taste of our home mm -hmm. to our home here, which is where, where sometimes in my storytelling through social media, I say Ruya is where home meets home. Okay. Um, and so whether that was through a cafe, I remember one ride home with my mom. She said she always wanted to open up a Turkish cafe and call it the Bosphorus because it's like one of the most beautiful places uh -huh. in the world. But um, yeah, we always just kind of wanted to have something little, but we never actually thought seriously about it. We just talk about it. Yeah. Um, so that was always something that I've always lived with and has been a topic of conversation throughout my life. So I said, probably a Turkish coffee house because I think that's, I don't know anything else that creates community more um, in my motherland because of, I kind of equate it to like an American diner. Like you will find a truck driver and a businessman sitting next to each other mm -hmm. and they could spark conversation over a cup of coffee. Um, so it's kind of a place of hospitality and entertainment from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. um, so... When I said that, I was like, I just kind of said it. And he was he was the one that pushed me. Brad Cooper was the one that was like, you should do it. And I was like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> like, all I know how to do is 
sell PNG product? Like, how am I going to build a coffee house? Like, how I don't even I can't even paint a wall. So he was like, "You'll figure it out along the way. Like, just do it." And so, literally, two hours before the deadline, I hit submit. Wow. And just because I would have, I kind of mulled it over over the next couple of days, and um, I would have regretted if I didn't. Yeah. Just like even just taking the opportunity, like. I didn't expect to get anything, but if I didn't hit submit, then I would have been like, oh, what What if I had? Right. And I didn't want to have that regret of what if. Yeah. What's the original project proposal process like? What did you have to submit? Uh, so there's just, they're pretty simple questions, but I, <laughs> I like took them very seriously in the sense of like, I wrote way too much and like they have a word limit of mm-hmm. like 250 words or something. And I wrote pages and pages and pages and I was like, then you had to edit, yeah. it, edit it down when you're entering it yeah. in. Yeah. Because it's an online form, right? You have it to is. submit it to their website. Yeah. So you can't hit submit until you cut, cut, and cut. Cut, cut, okay. cut. It's like you, they only want like three to five sentences. And I, I don't know what I was thinking. I just like spilled my heart and my thoughts out. Yeah. Um, and so it basically it's like, why do you want to do this? What would you do? How would you bring back the same person five times? Mm. Um, what sort of events? How would this build community and like what does this mean to you think like questions that are pretty simple but um but make you think about good yeah like deep stuff right yeah yeah and so you fast forward you opened on when did you open september 7th okay and you and it's open until november 18th yes all right so we're recording what is it october 9th Um, this episode will probably go up in just a couple of days. And so specifically people in Cincinnati, or if you're coming through Cincinnati, you've got just over a month to get back in. Uh, and we'll talk in a little while. I know you're sort of thinking about what maybe happens after Ruya in this incarnation closes. And we'll talk about that in a bit. So maybe if you don't, if you're listening to this and it's after November 18th, who knows, there may still be something you can experience. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, the, because you sort of have two lives. You mentioned that you sell stuff for PNG. That's your day job. That is my day job. What yeah. it's, what's your specific title and function at PNG? Uh, so they just changed my title. It was category development account executive. Now it's um, growth analytics manager. Basically, I sell personal healthcare products to Kroger. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mostly in Cincinnati or all around? Uh, mostly in Cincinnati. We're going to North. I mean, since Kroger is the number one grocer in America. Mm-hmm. They have banners all over. So I'll be going to North Carolina here in a couple of hours. Okay. <laughs> it's the early morning meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and how long have you been at PNG? Um, it'll be three years in January. Okay. Yeah. And uh, was that um, the process of you coming to Cincinnati uh, and then working? How long have you been in Cincinnati? So I grew up in Cincinnati. I was okay, born and raised in Cincinnati. Right. I went to Indian Hill High School. Um, I graduated in 2012. And then I went to Boston University, graduated early from there, um, and started working right away um, okay. after graduation. At PNG, first job out of school? At PNG, yep. My okay. first role was in Philadelphia, um, selling to Rite Aid, actually. <laughs> selling shampoo and conditioner to Rite Aid. So right on. If you need, if you have any questions about hair care or personal health care products. We can do that. I have, I have many. <laughs> I know. That's as soon as we're done, that can be a little segment that we put after the podcast online. Yeah. Yeah. Melis talks about personal health care products. Bye, Pepto. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your day job. Yeah. And now you find yourself, first of all, have they, have you had to take any time off of work in order to do this? Yeah. PNG has been, is really good about um, making sure that. They are supportive of you outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I found out about the grant, I talked to my manager, and she recommended actually the one. She was the one who told me, um, "I think you probably want to take a sabbatical for this." Really? <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> so I have. Um, I didn't really. I was like, again, I was like, I can do everything all the time by myself. <laughs> and so I was like, Are you sure? Um, and then she was like, Yeah. And I'm glad she did because when we were doing construction, it was like 16-hour days. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to do both. So I did take a month off. They let me take a month off. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. Cool. Um, and that was basically to get the shop up and running. So construction um, and then 
a week or two of figuring out operations. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to, I've been, I've been at, back at work for about two and a half weeks from now. Okay. Yeah. And now you're balancing for the duration of the project. You're sort of balancing work and being here. Yeah. And yeah. Rui is open Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday from? Yes. Uh, Friday and Sunday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay. And then also Saturday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay. With a lot of evening events. Um, so some of the evening events are on Thursday. A lot of them are on Friday or Sunday. Okay. Um, so check our event calendar on ruyacoffee.com. Ruyacoffee.com. Yes. And the Instagram? Ruyacinci. Ruyacinci. Yeah. And there's a lot, like, you do a great job of curating sort of that presence overall. I feel like the the Ruya Instagram account gives a really, really lovely presentation of what you're doing. And it's not just the images, but it's also the philosophy behind what you're doing and what it means to you. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, well, we opened it. We started the Instagram when we started construction. Uh-huh. And so we were t- <laughs> we were showing like every step of the process. There was one day where uh, two days before opening, we flooded. Um, and that was a great... Oh, I remember yeah. seeing that. Did yeah. you see that on our yeah, story? Yeah, when it yeah. rained like for four days straight or something like yeah. that. And you guys were just about to open and... Yeah, I, I saw you putting sandbags and towels and things like that yeah. in front of the door. Well, literally anything we could find. My friend literally took off his shirt and threw it at just to soak up the water. Oh, oh man. It, yeah, it was, um, yeah, don't get into entrepreneurship unless you can survive a flood, I guess. There you go. <laughs> good, good tip. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the process now, you have this career. Yep. You went to college, you have this career. You're first generation American. There's so much in there because you took this essentially corporate job, Mm -hmm. but now you're doing this really interesting cultural thing. And I'm interested in finding out if that's changing how you think about your work. Oh yeah. Um, Like what have you learned? And this can be in any sense about yourself. Obviously you said uh, that you're somebody who wants to take things on all by yourself. And you found out that through Ruya, you've had to pull other people in who had different skills from you, but what else have you learned about yourself through starting this process that you wouldn't have learned just doing your job at PNG? I think the biggest thing is empathy um, because so many different types of people walk through that door and every single, I try, if I'm, if it, the place is not super busy, I try to talk to every single person that buys a cup of coffee from me. Mm-hmm. And I try to read everyone's fortune because I know that's why kind of why they came here um, because it is so different and it's usually their first cup of Turkish coffee and I really want to understand like do they like the taste do mm-hmm. they like the experience um, and so I've had everything everyone from like a homeless person walk in that I gave a cup of coffee to to you know um, people from PNG that I work with mm-hmm. and so through the fortune telling it's really just a platform to have a conversation so um, even if you don't believe in fortune telling, um, personally, like from a personal standpoint, I think it's all hocus pocus, right? Like, how can you tell someone's fortune from lines of grounds? Like someone asked the question, like, is there any physics involved in it? Like, is this true? <laughs> like, is this kind of like horoscopes with the stars and everything? Right, right. And like how that's kind of, there's some science behind that, but I'm like, no, it's just like, let's, we just, it's just a way for you to talk. It's a device to, to about open life. up and speak to people. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So my mom did it for me growing up. Um, and even if you don't feel like opening up, it's, it allows you to reflect on what is where you are um, and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sometimes my mom would be a mom and be nosy and be like, oh, there's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I had that device with my son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but so just, it's so funny because so many people that come in and get their fortunes told, a lot of them I don't know, mm-hmm. and I may never see again. So I think people are a lot more open to talking about their problems or their dreams, sharing things that they wouldn't normally share um, because I may never see them again and there's right. no judgment. And right. so um, it's actually my favorite part of the project is learning about the people in my community through the fortune telling aspect. So describe the ritual because somebody comes in, uh, if you haven't seen the pictures, uh, first of all, while you're listening, if you can go to the distillerpodcast.com and click, we'll link to both the, the Instagram page and to your website, because what they've done, the globe front space here at people's Liberty is kind of an empty box. 
that like you said you get a you get a budget to transform into whatever you want so the the things hanging from the ceiling uh the the wallpaper and the coloring the rugs that you've put down you really have transformed it into a space that feels like maybe you just stepped into a turkish coffee shop yeah and then when you come in there's the low couches um and the low tables describe the the process maybe somebody has never had turkish coffee and has no idea yeah um, describe to them in a little bit of detail what is special about Turkish coffee, both in terms of how it's made and then the ritual around it and and everything, including the fortune telling and how the fortune telling happens. Yeah. Um, so basically, the way I designed this space was for you to feel like you were in a home, specifically designed after my grandmother's home, okay. uh, living room. And... The, it's most like the mismatching couches, like not everything really like is a is perfectly matched and curated to a T. Um, but I want it to feel cozy and homey. Um, and that's really because in Turkey, you don't see a lot of people going out for Turkish coffee for multiple reasons. One, it's a third world country. So going out and paying money for coffee is kind of mm-hmm. um Kind of like a special, like you, like you get dressed up and you're not going to do it every day. You're not going right. to hit it like Starbucks on your way to work no. or something. Like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, and it is also very a very intimate thing that you do like with your family after breakfast or dinner, um, but definitely something that you do after a meal because Tur- since Turkish coffee is so strong, um, it can upset your stomach if you have an empty stomach. Okay. Um, so that's. I didn't want it to feel like an actual like shop shop, like a retail shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted it to feel like home. And it's funny because sometimes kids will come in here and think it's an actual home and take their shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> Make yourself at home. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm happy that they do. Yeah, it means you've done um, a good job sort of creating that environment. <laughs> the kids, kids are buying in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so you just walk up to the counter and a lot of people... Um, it's, there's Turkish coffee on the window, so I think they know to come in for Turkish coffee, but it's, they usually, either one, they have, they've had a history with it, so that's, they're like from Turkey or another Middle Eastern country, or it's their first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really just order the coffee and you can watch it being made. Uh, we, all you need is really a heat source water and a thing called an ibrik or jezve, uh, which is a copper pot with a long handle. Mm-hmm. And it's just back to the basics. So you put the finely ground powder into the jezve and um, with along with the cold water and you mix it. And when it starts to boil and starts to foam and bubble, you turn the heat source down um, and then you just wait for it to increase the uh, bubbles because the bubbles are really a huge part of Turkish coffee, especially from an aesthetic standpoint, <clears throat> but also the first sip and that mouthfeel that you get from the bubbles. Um, so yeah, after that, once the liquid is done, you turn the cup over and I see you've, you've done that. <laughs> my cup is waiting here for, yeah. for when we finish our conversation, you can read my fortune in the yes. cup. <laughs> um, and the grounds run down the cup and create lines in which I come over and read your fortune or my mom comes over and reads for some reason, every time my mom does it, there's a huge, like roar of laughter. <laughs> And I'm like, oh. What's she telling people? Is she making stuff up? Well, I mean, she she, sometimes, I mean, like, she'll find symbols within the cup and, you know, say, like, for example, fish means good luck. A dog means, like, a loyal friend is going to reach out. But um, I don't know what, she she just makes jokes with people all the time. Like, she'll, she's constantly making fun of me. But um, she's really the heart and the soul behind all of this. She, she, (laughs) she makes me laugh because, um, as I was coming here, I was like, oh, I'm going, you know, for a podcast interview. <clears throat> and she's like, I don't get it. Like, I taught you. I made you. I Like, this wouldn't happen without me. <laughs> and you get all the credit. <laughs> like, I love it. Yeah. We well, should have so. brought her in because she was here the other day when I stopped by. And yeah. she's, she's adorable. She's, she's so adorable. Everyone loves she's her. She's really, really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, yeah, I think... When I stopped in, either you were on your way, you were parking your car or something like yeah, that. So your mom made me the first cup of coffee and I sat down and she was just so nice. I honestly felt like I was in somebody's <laughs> living room, like she had just sort of welcomed me in. So yeah. I get it, whether it was intentional or not, having your mother here, having that experience, like there's something about it that just feels authentic. Like 
Yeah. You couldn't have hired anybody better than bringing your mom in yeah. to do that. Yeah, which is why it's so hard for me to hire help. Yeah. Because I'm like... How are you going to replicate that? You're going to have to gather up every Turkish woman in Cincinnati <laughs> yeah. and have them come work for you. Yeah, basically. Oh, man. Yeah. But it's, it is wonderful. So people come in. And uh, when we were just chatting the other day, one of the things that you told me is, and you kind of mentioned this, that the, the coffee itself is, yes, you want people to have an authentic experience of Turkish coffee. But the coffee and the fortune telling and everything else that you've done with the couches and with the setting is a conduit for community and for connection. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things that I saw happening was that the, um, the fortune telling in particular, you can come in and you can sit next to somebody here like you would at a coffee shop and have your coffee and leave. Yeah. But there's something about maybe particularly when your mom comes over <laughs> yeah. and starts reading somebody's fortune and she, um, she either sits or or you know the couches are low so she's crouching down at the table and it causes people to turn their attention to what's happening i feel like people don't feel like they have to be private about it right yeah. people don't feel like they have to oh well there's this thing happening at this table and i don't want to appear to be eavesdropping right just the opposite they want to turn and look and see what's being said because people are laughing yeah and so all of a sudden you may have come in two people came in and two people came in two people came in now they're a group of six people yeah. gathered around a table where a story is being told. Yes. That's that's kind of a magical thing that you've done around coffee, but the coffee has very little right, to do with it except coffee. for the device, yeah. which is that you've created a situation in which boundaries are broken down and people didn't even know to be resistant. People didn't know that they were going to be invited into a community experience and here they are participating in it. Yes. It's really wonderful. I, people, I feel like people who are like community specialists. There's uh -huh. a guy in Cincinnati named Peter Block, who I think we've talked about on the podcast before, who writes books about developing community. Yeah. And his books are about, uh, and they're very, very helpful, but it's like, how do you foster conversations that get people together? How do you break down barriers for people? How do you set up a physical environment mm -hmm. that's conducive to people not being protective of their space? Yeah, right. And those are all great, but maybe the answer is just have your mom come and tell people's fortunes. <laughs> <laughs> and it breaks all down all those walls. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's it's happening because I just, I mean, I wanted to just give a taste of culture, but also um, just give a shed some hope in the world, hmm. and especially um, like this is a, a little bit of kind of my mission. Also, is changing the narrative for the culture. So when people, when for example, when I say I'm going to Turkey for vacation or holiday, they, the first question they always ask is, is it safe? Are you going to be okay? And I'm like, yeah, is it safe to go to downtown Cincinnati? Yeah. Um, and so it was, I just wanted to show that Turkish culture, Turkish people are not what you may see or hear in the media. Um, and not just Turkish, like all other cultures within that area mm -hmm. that also... Um, you know, have the same coffee culture. So, but really what you'll see in the events that I've curated is not just Turkish events, but also cultures outside of America. Mm -hmm. um, and just giving people a taste of that, that, you know, you, not to judge people based off of what you may see in the media. Yeah. Are you seeing that happen? Like, what are you, what are you seeing that's taking place? What are the stories of interactions that you've seen happen that maybe give you an indication that some of that is working? Um, well, just the fact that they had no idea, like when it, when someone says it's their first cup and um, they are just like, they come in, you know, just kind of like, oh, this is my normal day. And then they have this experience that they didn't expect. Um, and they leave just, just saying when they, hearing them say like, oh, I'm so happy now, like, and leaving with a smile on their face. Um, I think that's kind of, the impression and like the legacy I want to leave, but also um, when people start talking about their dreams. So mm -hmm. Ruya translates to dream mm -hmm. in Turkish. And the reason I chose, I went back and forth on names for so long, but the reason I ch that one was special to me was because not only was it a family dream, but um, you, the platform and the device of coffee, um, people end up talking about their dreams through the fortune telling. So when people take the first step and acknowledge, you know, like, this is my goal, this is my dream, um, 
you know, they always leave with like, okay, I'm going to go take the first step for that. Hmm. And that makes me so happy because someone gave me a chance to fulfill my family's dream. And so if I can pass that along to someone and help them in any way that I can and support them um, in their journey, then I feel like I've done a little bit of good. (laughs) Which is, I feel like, uh, true about you in a broader sense, even than the Globe Grant, which is that your family came here. When when we met the other day, you were talking a little bit about the experience of first-generation Americans being particularly different in relation to work and their dreams Mm -hmm. and all of the questions that we talk about on this podcast, Mm -hmm. then I can, I can even really conceive. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to, I want to dive into that a little bit. I'm honestly not even sure how to do it because the question is just basically how do you, how do uh, first generation Americans think about work in ways that are, that, that I would never conceive of. Yeah. And there's a lot in there. Talk a little bit about, um, just how you think about your work, the questions of meaningful work. Yep. Um, I think you think about that in yeah. a different way yeah, yeah. than I do. I, I don't want to put a blanket statement on this is how all first-generation Amer- immigrants think, mm-hmm. um, but I will say personally, like I can speak very passionately about, um, for example, my corporate job. A yeah. lot of millennials have a negative connotation when they you know, say I work a corporate job, and I just want to be a little bit mindful when, you know, someone's like, oh, do you really love what you do? No, but like, I don't love what I do every day when I'm at Ria because like painting walls is hard. <laughs> like when yeah. I was doing construction, like, I don't, I don't love construction, but like it was a step towards something greater yeah, um, for a greater purpose and for a more meaningful purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like work, I think especially Americans, may think like, um, you know, why don't you just go out and do your own thing? Um, But for me, it's mostly just acknowledging how much sacrifice my parents, you know, left everything in Turkey, left all their family, Mm -hmm. um, everything they ever knew about themselves, and came to a country just to give their kids a better life. Literally, when my mom became pregnant, the only reason they came to America was to make my older brother an American citizen. They were going to go back um, and, you know, live their lives, but they fell in love with the place Hmm. and completely changed their game plan. Um, So the reason they came to Cincinnati, yeah. So that... I mean, all the stories, all of the movies are, you know, these people have always had a dream to come to America. Yeah. That's subtly but importantly different was that they were they were perfectly happy in Turkey, but they wanted yeah. to provide. They were living a great life in Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. They were well off and they were perfect. But they wanted to give you and your brother at that time, your brother, because he's older and they didn't know that you would exist, yeah, but yeah. they wanted to give their children <laughs> the greatest sort of opportunity that they could. And they saw that as being coming to America and giving him citizenship. Yeah. And a huge, like, um, thank you to my father. Cause he's, he, he's kind of the super forward thinking in that sense of, um, especially in terms of education, he puts a great deal of emphasis on education and he knew, um, America had the best education system compared to Turkey. Mm -hmm. So, um, but like I think of all of the other aspects, like sport is a huge part of my um, background, and women and sport and culture, which is another event on October nineteenth here in Ria. Um, you don't see a lot of females doing sport, and it just it breaks my heart because like if I were to like when I go running in shorts mm-hmm. in Istanbul in the streets of Istanbul, you know my family members are like, what are you like, yeah. you know. Put something on. Like, right. Right. <laughs> I'm Cover like, yourself. It's 90 degrees outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And I think that's a reason why, you know, that's one barrier to women doing sport, right? Because it is a Muslim country. Yeah. Um, but there are just many other barriers in which, you know, females are seen as, should be seen as, you know, this feminine, you know, beauty and uh, sport is not always feminine. So I think if I didn't have sport in my life, one, I think I would go crazy because it's therapy <laughs> for yeah. me. And two, I, would, I wouldn't have confidence. Like, there's, I wouldn't have a community. Mm-hmm. So um, it, when I look back at it, I'm so grateful that my parents, you know, did everything they could to make life work here. And it wasn't always easy growing up, mm-hmm. um, you know, just in terms of, like, 
you know, financially, like emotionally, like figuring out who I was, like and having two different identities. Yeah. Um, it wasn't always easy, but you know, it, I think just having a, um, mission and like a reason why you are here and why you're doing the work and why you are so, you know, you'll stay up, you know, you'll work 16 hours straight. Yeah. Um, you know, I just always think of my parents. So you told me that in college, when you were in college, that all of your friends, not all of your friends, but you had uh, a group of friends that were all first generation yeah. Americans, yep. which makes sense because uh, your concerns were the same. Your mindset might be similar. And I know you don't want to paint with an overly broad brush, but nevertheless, there's a lot that's common to your experience as a group understanding we're not speaking for everybody, but as a group, like what is different about how you approached your education, how you approach the job market yeah. and how you think about your job yeah. today? I mean, I, I would think that, and I'm going to, I'm going to guess about the mindset of millennials, which I don't have any business doing, but I mean, <laughs> you know, like an average sort of fairly entitled American is going to think, well, yeah, I'm smart. I should get the job. I deserve this thing. Yeah. Nobody recognizes how smart yeah. I am, you know, uh, how, how do you, and how do your first generation friends, are you conscious of having a different approach to your work than the people, than the perhaps more entitled people that you see around you? Um, I think, well, I don't, I don't know what the entitled people, I can't get in, inside their brain. Right. It's fair. But, um, I guess I'll answer the first question in terms of how I approached education, yeah, yeah. Um, especially in university when I graduated, I, when I decided I need to get in and get out, get my paper and start working. Yeah. You said well, you, you said you graduated early. Yeah. From Boston university. So, I mean, for me, university was a way to get a job. Mm -hmm. It wasn't this time period of finding myself or this time period to dilly dally. Yeah. Um, whereas I saw a lot of maybe quote unquote entitled Americans are like, Oh, I don't know my major. And I'm like, it's you're a junior, figure it out. Like what are you wasting time? Clock is ticking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, that, that was a big wake up call as also as well. And in university, I was also friends with a lot of people who were either immigrants, um, or they were first generation immigrants. So I don't know what it is about us and non-Americans, but you automatically connect. It doesn't matter what culture you're from, but if you're like... You just find each other. Yeah, you just find each other. I guess yeah. it's just the energy, but um, probably at the library. <laughs> right, actually doing work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody else is out partying, you're studying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's how I viewed education and the way I view work. Um, I try... So, I mean, my internships were... When I was applying, I was like, what's the highest paying job? Because <laughs> I'm like... Yeah, I'm, you're pragmatic about it. Right. I was yeah. like, I was just, I just saw it as a way to earn money so I could pay back to my parents what they sacrificed and help support them. Yeah. And so, I mean, I interned at Merrill Lynch and then I realized, wait, I need, I do have this American side of me where I need meeting in my life. <laughs> so I got out of, you know, banking and um, I was like, okay, what is a job that pays well, but also like I have a connection to. Hmm. And so I thought about it and I thought of P&G first because they, if it wasn't for P&G, I wouldn't be in America because the reason my parents came to Cincinnati specifically was because the only contact they had was my mom's older brother who worked for P&G at hmm. the time. Wow. Um, he, he's no longer in Cincinnati, but um, I just thought, okay, like this has some sort of connection to me. Yeah. So I feel like working for a company that has given me the life that I am so grateful for um, gives a lot more meaning to the work I do, even if I don't love it every single day staring at an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, so viewed education more as a way to get a job, viewing my corporate job as a way to support my family. Yeah. Viewing this project as a way for me it, well, it makes me feel alive mm -hmm. um, to connect with my community, to be creative, um, and to really just have something of my own. Like, there's so much gratification and satisfaction in, like, dreaming up something your whole life and then, like, starting to plan for it for, like, a year mm -hmm. and then literally not knowing anything about the coffee industry or, like, how to be a project manager for a construction project 
Um, but like always figuring it out and always knowing, realizing who has your back, who's in your, who's in your corner, like right. rooting for you yep. and also realizing who's not. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. It does. Absolutely. I The idea that you have sort of these two competing, or not necessarily competing, but side by side, there's the there's the Turkish you and there's the American you and the and the Turkish you to a degree that I, I honestly just don't feel like I can fully appreciate. I, I feel like most, most, a lot of Americans, you know, think about, uh, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get my job, I'm going to be out on my own. Yeah. They're primarily like, how do I break away from this thing? Yeah. Not how do I give back to this thing? Right. And obviously I'm not speaking about everybody. And a lot of people have very strong families. But even then, it seems like the coin is a bit flipped. Like my parents were successful. They have a responsibility to set me me up for success right? so that I can jump out and be out Not that my, my parents didn't set me up for success. No, not, and I'm not yeah. saying they didn't. I'm just yeah. saying that I don't feel like there's culturally the same deep desire to give back. Right. And the same feeling of obligation, but but in a sense of, you know, like the, the good and the bad of obligation. Right. I want to do it. I need to do it. They gave me everything. How could I not yeah. do it? Yeah. Um, and that, that experience is maybe not universal, to first-generation Americans, uh, but is common enough that you felt like the friend group that you had at college, yeah. a lot of them felt that way or, and were making decisions based on that. Right, yeah. And just having the conversations with those those friends, I will never forget about how to approach life and also keep the family happy and also not let the family in the motherland down as well. Um, yeah. It's funny because like in Turkey, I'll go there and sometimes I'm seen as the American, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm the like one of the very few from my family who's in America. And when I'm in America, I'm seen as the Turk. Right. So <laughs> that was what I was kind of referring to as what am I? What's my identity? Yeah. And um, because like, you know, I'll go to Indian Hill High School where there's not so much diversity, um, but... Just said tactfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. But, um, you know, you do your thing, you wear your North Face, you read your books. <laughs> you get by. Yeah. And um, I come home and, you know, it's my mom yelling at me to take off my shoes and, like, you know, get studying. And, you know, she's making dolma, which is like this... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I would always bring in lunch that my parent, my friends were like, "What are you? What is that? <laughs> what <laughs> so is this stuff you're thinking, eating?" Yeah. So it's just like this, like struggle of like I'm wearing a North Face, but I'm eating dolma. Like, <laughs> like what am I? And then you know, as I got older, I realized, okay, I'm both, and I need to celebrate both, mm. um, and just own that. And I kind of use that as I, I hate using the word competitive advantage because it sounds so corporate and businessy, but I realized my culture was my competitive advantage yeah. because you, not everyone can say they have the, they've had the experiences that I have. And so being able to put myself in other people's shoes a little bit um, and having maybe a little bit more empathy than someone who's a little bit, quote unquote, more entitled, um, I thought was how I should approach the world and which is why I am so you know, open to listening to other people's stories and mm. hearing about what they want to do in life. Right. Which takes us back to, you were saying empathy was sort of like the thing that you really had grabbed onto as something that you were learning from this experience. Yeah. Which is great. It's not what I would have expected you oh, really? to say. I might've said, you know, I thought you were going to say like financial management, QuickBooks. Like, I, yeah. don't, I don't know, but. So in the application for the grant, um, they asked for a budget and I'm, I made it up like super quick. Like I was like, uh, maybe a hundred dollars for decorations. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, ballpark figures. <laughs> everything, everything did not go as planned. I tried to plan as much as possible, but like within the two weeks of construction, everything was like just last minute. We changed the colors last minute. Like I, I, I thought that I learned more in those two weeks probably than I have in my four years, my three years at PNG, just because like you have to problem solve on the spot yeah. Um, and you have to do it under a huge time pressure. Um, but you push through. So I'm always going to remember like 
you can plan as much as you want, but like you, you just got to roll with the punches sometimes. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, it's small business. I mean, even if you're doing it under the heading of something that, that is a little bit safer like this, it's still the challenges are the same of starting a project and get it running and getting yeah. everybody organized. Yeah. So how is this um, changing your approach to your job? Is it? My day job? Yeah. Um, so part of me, Feel, I don't know if I should be saying this. If someone from India is listening, but I'm gonna I'm gonna speak my 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 honest truth. So part of me does feel like after the sabbatical, um, I was kind of a bird that flew from its cage, and now I'm back in its cage. Well, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very understandable. Hard. You had yeah. a different set of experiences, and I then right. I think the challenge is to say, does this mean I have to I have to change my whole life, or more often does this mean that I can bring these to bear and how you know? Yeah still be happy and have this new experience and these new set of skills. Right, exactly. Which is what I'm trying to do um, every day is kind of take the skills that I've learned from this project and apply them in my day job, Um, especially in a sales aspect of empathy, like, okay, meeting with my buyer and, you know, learning more about her versus just being like, hey, buy this. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Got to get in, got to get out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it... It just feels like the the things that I'm doing within Ruya and the experiences that I have and the conversations that I have are so much more meaningful than like when I'm pulling some data and analyzing them on an Excel spreadsheet. And I know I have to look at it at a bigger picture of like, okay, this data is going to achieve this goal, which will, you know, further impact the company in this way. Um, But when you have, you know, put your heart and soul in something that you completely own, Mm -hmm. it's hard to do that with something that is not yours. It's, yeah. it's PNGs. Um, yeah. So just figuring out a way. I mean, I'm, I'm very passionate about health, you know, like I'm a huge sport person, mm-hmm. but um, so I, I try to make the connection through, you know, like, oh, I'm selling medicine, which is good for your health, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a far, it's, it's far-fetched. Of a connection. Well, this is uh, the the disconnect that you're describing is is why we have this show. Yeah. Literally, it's the reason. How yeah. do we think about the work that we do and whether it has meaning? And does everybody even think about that? Does everybody want their work to have meaning? Some right. people don't. Yeah. Um, and for some people, it's like got to put food on the table. Yeah. Got to you know fulfill my obligation to my mm-hmm. family. Got to take care of my people. Some people don't have the luxury. Mm-hmm of choice in employment. Right. Uh, they're like, I have to take any job that I can get because the way that the economy is structured is is against me and I have a minimum number of opportunities. There are a lot of different ideas that pr- people bring to their work about meaning. Right. And that process, it's part of why I was really excited to talk to you is because some of the most interesting conversations that we have are people that are in tension and flux. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're moving from one job to another, they're moving from one stage of their life to another. You have a job that it sounds like you're very good at, mm-hmm. but you started this other project and this project that you're doing, which has has blossomed into this beautiful thing, is now creating this tension for you <laughs> about what do I do with it? Yeah. What do I do with the next stage of Ruya after November 18th? Right. Could it possibly live on in another incarnation? Right. And then how do I take, and I'm sorry, I'm putting all these words into your mouth, but no, how, no, do, how do I yeah. take what I've learned Yep. And this new experience and then decide what that means about my conception of meaningful work. And you're right in the middle of all that and sort of wrestling with it. Right. Yep. For so not to necessarily put you on the spot and say, what does that mean about PNG? But what does it mean about Ruya? What what are you thinking? What are the questions that you're trying to answer right now about the future of Ruya? So I'm really excited because on Sunday morning <laughs> I had a um, meeting with Paul Maverick and he's completely on the same page of like continuing the Ruya chocolate bar. Well, so Maverick, Paul Maverick is Maverick chocolate. Maverick chocolate, yes. Which we should say if you're, if you're again, I'm trying to set context for people that aren't here. If you're not in Cincinnati or haven't been down here, Ruya sits right at the edge in one of the corners of Finley Market, yep. which is uh, this beautiful old, I wish I knew the exact statistic, but it's been here for forever. Forever, yeah. It's an outdoor market market 
Um, and it's one of these gathering places in Cincinnati that I know that People's Liberty is located here for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect spot for you because it's one of the places in Cincinnati where people from all walks of life mm -hmm. are going to walk by. Yeah your door. And yeah. Maverick Chocolate, the reason I'm saying this is because Maverick Chocolate is a little chocolate shop that's about five doors away, just sort of kitty corner on the other side of the market. Yeah. So you said you met with Paul Maverick on Sunday. I did. And he was um, really stoked about continuing the collaboration. So we collaborated on a special dark chocolate with our Turkish blend um, with deeper roots. Mm -hmm. with, And it also has cardamom in it. So okay. for the people who love cardamom, <laughs> even though coffee, even though it it's not in the Turkish <laughs> yeah. coffee, right? yeah, yeah. Um, so there, I have three big collaborations with Maverick, Deeper Roots, and Churchill, and I wanted to really use local small businesses within mm. the Finley Market area yep. um, to bring up that whole um, the whole you know small business. And Deeper Roots is coffee. We recorded episode twenty three with Bart Campolo at the Deeper Roots Roastery. Mm -hmm. Churchill is tea. Yep. Maverick is Coffee, all local businesses yes. and great, great partnerships that if you come in, you can see you've got a, a Deep Roots blend, you've got a Churchill blend, you've got the Maverick chocolate. Yes. So. And what's beautiful about Churchill, Les, is, Les from Deep Roots is mm. one of my favorite people in the whole world. He's Les awesome. is great. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, but about Churchill and Maverick, they are also about the immigrant story. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Churchill, um, from immigrants from London, uh -huh. which you wouldn't think... Um, is like they would have cultural conflict or like uh, yeah, right. a struggle at all, uh -huh. but they do. Like there, there's still that immigrant feeling. Interesting. Even though you know you still speak English and things like that in London, um, but then and then Paul Maverick is from Canada, so also in not a, like what you would think of having a struggle, but he does talk about it. And so when I told him about my whole r mission with Ria and telling the immigrant story, I said, you know, my intention is to never you know, get into the food industry yet. Like, that's not why I started this project. My start proje I started this project to create community uh -huh. and bring it to life through physical product with collaborations that also have the same mission. Yeah. Um, and so just hearing about their immigrant story and then being on board with it um, makes me very happy. Yeah, yeah, how cool. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to keep working together there. Do you know mm -hmm. how? Or is it just sort of a commitment to keep working together? Do you know what, what form it's going to take? Well, we're going to keep the bar. Basically. In Maverick? Yeah. So I think we're going to sell it in Maverick, maybe other places. Fantastic. To be, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Because even when you and I talked a couple of days ago, there was no specific direction. There was yeah. a lot of opportunity and a lot of questions about how to move forward. Yeah. So That's I'm great. excited. Yeah. Great, great, great. So uh, keep watching the website. Keep watching the Instagram Yep. Page. Facebook too. We're on and Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. we will link to all of those uh, on the episode page. Go to the distillerpodcast.com. Yep. We could talk for a long time. There's so much, but uh, I want to get to selfishly <laughs> the, the fortune yes. telling. Yes. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much, like just for sharing your journey. There's so much that goes into what you're doing and your candor about those those two sides of it is mm -hmm. interesting to hear about and it'll be fun to see what happens next i hope so too yeah thank you you bet all right let's move into i i finished my coffee earlier maybe yep. uh terry's right here and maybe she'll so take some pictures while we're doing this and we can put those up on the website yeah, yeah. um i may even record it on my phone right now but talk us through a little bit about um what you're what you're doing and what you're looking for and then just uh tell me how you would do it if i if i was just one of the customers who wandered in yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Um, you finish the liquid, you turn the cup upside down, and then um, I turn it over and read the lines. So as you can see, the lines in the cup. Yep. Um, and I look for symbols to read your fortune. Okay. So um, basically, what I see here is, well, one, it looks like in one part of your life, you're holding on to something. See the huge clump right there? Yes. You're holding on to something that you've held on to and it's causing you a lot of frustration. Um, so whatever that may be, uh, you need to let that go because once, I mean, you will let it go, but once you do, your path in your mind is really clear. So that's shown through the white space here. And once you do let it go and you feel better, um, the legacy that you leave behind and what you start on after you have a clear mind and um, you know, whether it's a project or a new relationship or, you know, a new person that comes into your life after you've moved on, 
um, that's kind of your lasting impact. So the the rim of the cup um, is really really the legacy that you leave behind. So as you can see, there's grounds around there. Uh-huh. Um, what I also see, uh, there, so this is kind of small, but there's um, a stem with a little bud at the top. I see it. So that is... It sort of looks like a Florida Lee or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> so what that says is um, there's something that had just started. I, I, well, now I feel like... I don't want to put words or like make you think go, about something. Go ahead. I'm here for it. But I know you you, you have a new like one-year-old or something. I do, So yeah. what, that, what this is showing is there's something that just started. It's pretty new, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to bloom and blossom into something else. So, it, I mean, it could be your kid. It could be something else that's right. at the top of your mind. But um, could be a podcast. It could yeah, be it could a, be a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But it's going to blossom into something beautiful. Um, and there's actually a lot of lines that come out of that. Um, which will also lead to different paths. So whatever that new thing is, mm-hmm. it's going to open up a lot of doors for you. Fantastic. And then lastly, what I'll say, other than you need, really needing to get over something. <laughs> I need to clean that thing up. <laughs> i got to get that clump out of there. <laughs> um, there's three core pillars in your life, um, three like foundational family members um, seen through this. So this looks kind of like a, the trunk of a tree at uh-huh. the very bottom. And there's three people in your life um, whether it's a relationship that is as close to family or it is an actual family member, blood family member, mm-hmm. but there's three people that um, really are will always be with you um, mm-hmm. throughout your entire life, and they make you feel very open, and you know you kind of wear your heart on your sleeve for them. You're very honest, um, and that's shown through the white space here. So um, keep them close and let them know that you love them. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Hocus Pocus or not, that is that actually speaks to me deeply, and I really, really appreciate it. Oh, uh, yeah. And if you, uh, I was going to say, if you want to open up about anything, you know, I'm here to listen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll turn off the microphones <laughs> before we make it about me. Melis, yeah. thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I thank really appreciate you. it. Thank you. I appreciate it. This episode of The Distiller was recorded live at Ruya Coffee, located in the Globefront space at People's Liberty, 1805 Elm Street in Over the Rhine, Cincinnati, Ohio. Many thanks again to Melis Idawan and the staff both of Ruya Coffee and of People's Liberty for welcoming us in, of course, for the amazing Turkish coffee, the Turkish delights, and other treats. Ruya is only open until November 18th, at least in this current incarnation. So if you're in Cincinnati, make sure you get down there and experience what Melis and her team have created before it transitions into whatever is next. Ruya is open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as well as at other times for special events. You can visit ruyacoffee.com. Ruya is R-U-Y-A. So ruyacoffee.com for specific times, as well as the schedule of events and all the other information. You can also visit Ruya on Facebook and Instagram for more information. We link to all of those accounts from our website at thedistillerpodcast.com, as well as to People's Liberty for more information on all the programs and initiatives People's Liberty funds People's Liberty just closed the submission period for their last round of project grants the day before this episode comes out, and the winners will be announced in early November. So be sure to follow People's Liberty on social media to hear when the announcements are made and to learn about all the great projects and individuals they've funded and to follow all the great work to come. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson, with co-production and booking from Terry Heist. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan, and our videos are by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts. Please, wherever you listen, click that subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you like what we're doing, please do spread the word. You can do that by following and sharing our posts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And maybe the best way to help is to rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, on Stitcher. Those ratings and reviews help us rise in search results and help other people find out about the podcast. So please do that. Thank you. Uh, Remember, you can also listen and download every episode of The Distiller and find information including links, photos of the guests, a map of all the show locations, and get in touch with us all at thedistillerpodcast.com. You can check out this post uh, on our website 
for the horrible iPhone video I shot of Melis reading my fortune in the coffee grounds. And you can actually see what she was looking at in the cup while she's speaking. It's really fun. So check it out. And don't forget, you can also uh, email us at mail at thedistillerpodcast.com. Tell us who you think should be on The Distiller to talk about their search for meaningful work or where you think we should record the show. Please drop us a line, whether by email, on the website, or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We always love to hear from you. So until next time, and as always, thanks for listening to The Distiller. Bye-bye.